this is Chad Seabright with Lebanon House of Prayer in Tennessee. We host a special conference in the summer for pastors, ministry leaders, and anyone hungry for more of God's presence. If you want to get updates about our next Behold Conference and how you can join us, go to thebeholdconference.com and click on the button that says Get Notified. Here's a special message from the Behold Conference 2023. I pray this message will bless you richly. Transformation only occurs in a city when you become transformed. And watch and live transformationally. That's what I want to talk about, the transformational lifestyle. Because if you live a transformational lifestyle, you become the individual who brings transformation. It's not something your church does, it's something you are. Transformation is not a program. Transformation is someone who lives the gospel. Do you see what I'm saying? I I don't tell people the message. I am the message. We live the message. We live it, man. We we personify. I don't go around with four spiritual. No, man, I become the truth. That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3. We manifest the truth. Uh, Chapter 4, we manifest the truth. Isn't that incredible? We just manifest it. So so we live transformationally. And so that's what I want to get at tonight. A transformational lifestyle will become a place that brings transformation to your city. But anyway, let let me give you four um, quotes, four thoughts along this idea of transformation, and then we're going to get into it. Yeah? We good? All five of you. Great. All right, here we go. Ed Savoso made the statement, the church is the only institution on earth that has a branch in every city and a representative in every neighborhood, yet it hasn't been the institution to bring transformation. I'm bothered by that. Since 2009, when I watched the first video by George Otis Jr. called Transformation of the City of Almalonga, Guatemala, of 20,000, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but a city of 20,000, a group of pastors and leaders like these freaks right here got together and said, here's what they said, not on our watch. What would it be like if you just simply said what is happening in our city is not the result of the mayor or the result of in Congress or laws or who's in the White House? It might be the fact that we are not becoming the kind of people he died and gave his blood for, that if we would live transformationally, we could have an effect on our city. That maybe the problem should not be at the White House, it ought to be in the prayer house. That maybe, just maybe, we're the ones who could bring transformation in our city. Not on our watch. Now, I don't mean to be overwhelming, which I already am. Sorry about that. But hear what I'm saying. We are the one. Listen, God put all of his eggs in one basket, you. Right, right. We are the best hope for transformation. There's not another plan. It's us. I'm looking at the cream of the crop. I'm looking at the... You are you are the ones yes. who God has handpicked yes. to bring transformation. 
And in 2009, I watched a city after 20 years, and I don't think it needs to take that long. I think God's expediting things these days. I really do. But, but in 20 years of praying and fasting in the 90s, a city of 20,000 was literally overcome by the presence of God. Now listen to this. 93% were born again. There was, no, there was no drinking, there was no smoking, there was no crimes, police didn't know what to do. So they, they actually became ushers in churches and, and, and there was unity, there, there, no sickness, no disease. No one, no one had common, why is it common? There were no common colds. There was nothing like that. There was, see, the power, the presence of God fell on a region for a period of a decade, maybe almost two decades, and the presence of God was so thick, it was difficult to walk. Listen, God even healed the land, according to 2 Chronicles 7.14. My friend, Rhonda Huey, who wrote the book Desperate for His Presence, went there, told Cindy and me, I got a carrot that was two and a half feet long and brought it back to the United States and said, here's what being desperate for his presence for a city will do. They grew, they grew celery, three feet. That's as tall as I am. <laughs> it was amazing. They actually, had, they actually had scientists come over from the United States. Man, what are you doing to the soil? We're just praying. Well, we got that, but what are you doing to this? Well, we're just praying. Okay, we understand, but what are you doing to the soil? We're just praying. And the thing is, is when that video was made in the late 90s, the thing that was shocking is, is George Otis Jr. said, there's no place in the United States where this is happening. That was in the 90s. Rhonda told me, listen to this, Rhonda told me there's 2,000 areas that are being influenced, and that includes within the United States now. Areas within the United States that are actually starting to experience transformation. Why can't it be your home, your church, your city, your region? Come on, man. We saw pepperings of that when, I was, when we were pastoring. It, just, it was just amazing. But, but see, we can do this. this is a, but this is a sobering statement. Now, the next thought would be, well, um, Why? So, so check this statement out. Um, Chuck Proudfit says this. He says, in 2,000 years, believers have successively digressed from being marketplace ministers to merely weekend worshipers. Yeah, I know it's quiet. Isn't that stinging? That See, our concept of ecclesia is an hour and a half gig on Sunday morning when that is so far removed from New Testament Christianity. Could you imagine the apostles saying, where are we going to church Sunday? (laughs) They were the church. They lived it. They were the message. Tim Ketchum and and, and Alan Hirsch in their book, Permanent Revolution, great book about the the ministry of Ephesians 4.11. The addendum is worth the book because in it they talk about the fact that what you read in first century history is basically a pneumocracy, pneumocracy, spirit under the government. In other words, they were governed by the spirit. 
Do you realize that 27 out of 28 chapters of Acts has miraculous activity in it? It was a pneumocracy. But they say in the book, in 2,000 years, we've drifted from a pneumocracy being under the spirit to a bureaucracy. And then, check this statement out. Um, What actually is transformation? Because when I talk about transformation, sometimes... uh, Sometimes I think that people don't know what it is, and so they'll, yeah, that sounds great, but what is it? Like, just, just break it down. What is transformation? When you say transformation, what do you mean? Here, check this out. Um, at Savoso, a neighborhood, a community, or region whose values and institutions have been undeniably impacted and transformed by the truth and the power of the gospel through spirit-led believers saturating the culture with the presence of Christ. That's so good. Oh, man, I thought you'd run around and shout. Is that not incredible? That, see, look, transformation isn't, well, we don't, we don't have a big church. Well, we don't have the finances. We don't have the personnel. We don't have the band like this. We, we don't, see, see, you understand that this definition from someone who knows about transformation, written some phenomenal books on it, by the way. During COVID, this is the stuff that I read. All about this transformation and, 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 and this Ed Savoso, phenomenal writer along these lines. But you understand this definition has nothing to do with the paradigms and the strategies that you and I might gravitate toward. It has everything to do with someone who actually lives the gospel. Someone who just personifies what it is to be a Christian. Everything that that he said today about just living your identity. That transformation actually can take place when just one person in a neighborhood, a community, a region, wherever, the values and the institutions of that area can literally be impacted and transformed through, through this one individual who just lives spirit-sourced. Isn't that powerful? And then getting to where I want to land tonight. Check this out. What is a transformational lifestyle? And this, this is, we'll stop right here with the slides. I love this. Ready? This, has been, this is my motto. And I'm giving it to you. A life motivated by love and sourced by the Spirit. Isn't that incredible? It's, 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 just, it's just love and power. It is the essence, I believe, of replicating Jesus. A life motivated by love. Look, motivated by love and and sourced by the Spirit. Do you realize how dangerous you would be if you lived that way? Imagine the moment you step across the threshold of, say, Walmart or Target, and you walk into that store motivated by love and sourced by the Spirit. Did you understand? Now, anything can happen. 
Listen, anything. I was teaching this in Texas last year, and, and, and Karen, my, my assistant, Karen Stout and, and Sydney and I, we went to Walmart. Oh, I love Walmart. You got a Walmart. I love, it's Wall Ministry. It's just incredible. <laughs> Do you understand? Every store I go into becomes just, watch. I'm walking into that store motivated by love and sourced by the Spirit. So now the fact is, the moment I step into that atmosphere, now anything can take place. Because, you see what I'm saying? And so it starts right at the door. There's a dude with a vest on. He's the greeter. And I, I, here's my motto. If they're greeting me, I'm going to greet them. I'm going to love all over them. And, and I did. The dude had a hat on, and it was a military cap, and he was, he was in the service. He was maybe 70, maybe 75, and, um, and I walk in, and he goes, hello, sir. And I go, oh, man, hello. Shook his head. I said, how are you, my friend? Do, do you understand? Motivated by love. I don't go there to get a story. I don't go there to minister. I don't go there to lay hands on people. I don't go this and I go there not to share the gospel. I go there to love people, motivated by love, man. And everyone you and I see should become a target of his affection. And I looked at this dude, and I just, I said, how are you doing, my friend? And he says, I'm okay. And I said, listen, I got to say something. I said, I want to thank you for your service for our country. I see your cap. And, and it must have triggered something. Because he, he started talking about the country and talking about the president. And the next thing, man, is the train went off the rails. He started effing this and effing that and eff. And then I thought to myself, we should train our greeters not to say that. <laughs> just, just, just would be maybe better. I just, I don't know. Maybe train your greeters at your churches not to do that. Anyway, these are, and, but listen, I had revelation like I never had. Do you know what I realized? It says in Romans chapter eight that it says all of creation cries out for the sons and the daughters to be revealed. You know what I realized? That that's a manifestation of a heart cry. Is there a son or a daughter in the house? Is there someone who can show me a better way? His language, his lifestyle, piercings and all of that stuff is someone crying out, is there a better way? And the revelation of sons and daughters should be you and me walking in love and flowing in the power of the spirit to bring transformation to people everywhere we go. Oh my gosh, I was all over that guy. Man, I was like a dirty shirt. I was just, and I, listen, I determined I wasn't going anywhere. He wasn't offensive to me. Right, right. He was acting his nature. So why would it be offensive to me? And I loved on that dude. Karen got a little picture of it and, and sent, it, sent it to me. They went out. I didn't know where they were. They were I, it was like 20, 25 minutes. I just, I'm not going anywhere. This dude is going to be loved on. Now, now, now the upswing of the story is, like, he didn't get born again. I baptized him in the fountain out front and all that. It's just, you know. <laughs> but, dude, listen, I loved on him. I prayed with him, told him about Jesus. Someone else can come along and, you know, see, I'm, see, I'm content with that. Dude, you see what I'm saying? Everywhere we go, 
And they took us stories after stories after stories. I was telling Jeremiah today, I'm not even permitted by Holy Spirit to share of them because it's just like it gets, it's like, I'm not, I'm not doing this. I'm simply saying, and don't come up to me and say, wish it was like you. You really don't. Be who you are, but be motivated by the love of God and to be sourced by the Spirit. And I'm telling you, you can be the instrument that he uses. Everywhere you go, everywhere you go, it's just phenomenal. All right. You got your Bibles? Okay. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. <laughs> well, I've been in 1 Corinthians 14 for 10 years. So just give me grace because I'm still learning. Okay? I'm still learning. You have no idea. I taught uh, for the, school of, the Awakening School of Ministry on 1 Corinthians and then on 2 Corinthians. And, and so it was beautiful because I had been outlining the book during Christmas break and, and just literally segment by segment, section by section of 1 Corinthians. And, and I've looked at the history of it, the nature of it. And, and really, Corinth and Ephesus are two phenomenal cities that got touched by the power of God. And a lot of people are scared of 1 Corinthians, like my brother said here. And it shouldn't be. It's a phenomenal book. But um, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And again, we're talking about um, a transformational lifestyle. Okay, here we go. We're just going to look at one verse. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, reading from the NASB, and it says, Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. <laughs> oh, my. Okay. Um, this verse is a summary of the three chapters that I have chosen to call the transformational lifestyle. Chapters 12, 13, and 14. And in those chapters, Paul's dealing with the assembly. He's dealing with what we would, the language we'd say, the church, but it's the assembly, the gathering, and he's really trying to drill down on what a transformational lifestyle actually looks like. And so when you look at this verse, it's, it's, it's like a summary of these three chapters that are so beautifully put together. And pursue love would actually be the summary of chapter 13, and you'll see he's out of order on purpose because love becomes the foundation of everything else that he talks about, which is very key. Did, we'll get to that, but it's, it's foundational. And then he says, desire earnestly, spiritual. Uh, gifts is not in the text, and we'll get to that. And that's really a summary of chapter 12, the manifestations. And then he says, but especially, and I wish I could talk about this. We don't have time. Jeremiah got nine sessions. I only got two. But anyway, who's counting? Um, but especially that you may, like, so the, the, man, the manifestation, like, they're all good, but especially the sourcing of the spirit can bring a prophetic culture to where we speak his words in this moment. It's just phenomenal. There's so much I could say about that. But, and what he's doing in chapter 14 is he's contrasting two manifestations. In that chapter, he's looking at the private prayer language and, the, and, and prophecy. 
And, and to please understand, he's not devaluing one or the other. In fact, he's not even talking about value. He's arguing application. And one is specifically meant for private edification, and the other is specifically meant for corporate edification. So he's just talking about application. Are we all good with that? There's so much more we could do on that, but just, all right. So what I want to look at then is this idea of being motivated by love and being sourced by the Spirit. And the motivated by love, no doubt, comes from the first two words in that verse, pursue love. And, and, and I love the word pursue. It can be chase, run, hunt. In fact, um, I think, uh, oh, what is it? it the words used, uh, something to the tune of like 35 times, 40 times. But most of the time, not every time, it's actually translated to persecute. Yes. Isn't that interesting? To persecute. With the idea that to persecute, there's the object that I'm going to persecute, the target that I'm going to go after. And I'm not going to stop. I'm going to literally go after that thing. And I, like to persecute it is strong. It's like this language that I'm going after this thing and nothing's going to curtail me from going after that. That's this word. But it's actually to pursue, go after, tenaciously, what? Love. Isn't that beautiful? In fact, it's stated as a command in the scriptures. For you Greek nerds, it's actually an imperative, which, which states it as a command. And, and so, like, like, if I was writing to you, take out the trash, I would state it as a command with an exclamation point. You know that would be emphatic, and you would not read that as a question or just even a statement of fact. You would understand, man, that's, that's, a, that's a command. Okay, this is read in Greek with an imperative mood, which states it as a command. So it's not a suggestion. Paul's actually commanding us to continually pursue love. And it is present tense, by the way. So it never stops. So it's a lifestyle. Watch this. A lifestyle of continually going after agape love. Agape love. Not eros, stergo, phleo, but agape. The most challenging and difficult word to define in the New Testament because it's both a verb and a noun. Love is so incredible. Oh, my goodness. And I don't want to spend a lot of time to this because the one I want to get to is the next one. But I need to say just a few things about this idea of pursuing love. It's so, so fundamental. One of the best definitions, by the way, that I read about it is called becoming love. Oh, what a name for a ministry organization. Anyway, so it's this constant pursuit of becoming love. Do you guys understand how powerful that would be if the ethos of our lives was pursuing love every day. Did you understand? Now watch this. We're pursuing love because we are loved. You got to see this. Go real quick to 1 John. Go, go real quick to 1 John. Look at this. Look at this. 1 John. 1 John. And, and, and go to chapter 4. I can't spend a lot of time on this, but I want you to see this. 1 John 4.16 says, We know, we have come to know and have believed the love 
which God has for us. Let me stop right there. That would be a revelation. Guys, listen to that. Listen to what listen to what John is saying. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. Do you understand? I was 44 years old when I had my encounter with the Holy Spirit on a, on a sabbatical in 2007, and I was bathed in the manifest presence of God's glory that changed my life and the trajectory of my ministry forever. Do you know the pinnacle revelation out of that? It wasn't visions and signs and all of that stuff. Listen, I, here was the pinnacle revelation. Father loves me. It changed my life. Because for 44 years, I lived for him. Now I live from him. Everything changed. I'm not the screaming orphan. When will you ever give me one young goat to make merry with my friends? You understand, I own the farm. All of that changed, man, in an encounter with him who, listen, he is love. That's his essence. Slice him open and what will he bleed? Love. That's what he is, man. Do you understand that he, that's, he wants to love us? Father wants to love us. Oh, he lavished 1 John 3, 1, his love on us, that we should be called the children of the Lord. He lavished it. It's like he was outrageous. We just hear. Just, it's just like he just, he just lavished. Do you understand? He just, like, just wasted his love on us. Romans 8.15, I have a spirit of adoption. I get to call him Papa. Listen, I, this would be hard to hear. I'm his favorite. I'm sorry. <laughs> you have to understand, from 2007 till this moment, when I talk about the love of the Father, I really believe, I have come to know and have believed the love he has for me. It is real to me. He fathers me. It is intimate, man. I don't even talk about it, but I got married to Jesus. I'm one, man. We are one. I did vows with him. I went on a honeymoon with Jesus, man. I spent time. There is an affection. This is not language that I can use in a lot of places, but I'm his laid down lover. Amen. Yes. He said that in a place, and an old dude came up. Ah, she's not real comfortable with all that language. And listen, I, was, I, I loved him. I said, I understand, sir. And I said, that's a problem. Because what you read in the scriptures is everything. Matthew 6, 6, go into the room, Tamion. You know what he translate that? Bedchamber. So when you go pray, go into the bedchamber. Do you know how you translate the word koinonia, fellowship? That's an idiom for intercourse. I know, it gets quiet. It's like... <laughs> Sorry, honey. I love you so much. Elena says, Man, he preaches. I just, I never knew you. Yes. Matthew 7, 23. Gnoska. Yes. You're, 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 you're using my name to evoke a response, but you and I haven't had intimacy. 
Do you see all this language in the New Testament? And so you understand, it is really a serious matter to come to the revelation that he loves us. I'm telling you, tonight some of you need a baptism of divine love. And I have that, and I can speak it over you, baby. I can. I prayed it over my son in the faith. Come on, I prayed it over him. Well, I prayed over you. And I, not listen. And I'm just giving you what I have. That's the source. You understand? He's the source. You don't need me. You really just need a baptism of him. Because he loves you. Come to that revelation, that understanding that he really loves you. He loves you. Get, get, uh, listen, what happened with Adam and Eve? We were created for a love relationship with the Father. The moment they sinned, they were cut off from the source of love. Now they needed love. You got to hear what I'm saying. Do you know why there's so much insecurity in the church? It's, it's, it's because we don't understand this. So we go into ministry and serve in positions of ministry because we need love. We want someone to affirm us and whack us on the back. Great job. I've been mowing the lawn for six months and nobody said anything. It just upsets me. I ain't coming back. Well, listen, why were you mowing the lawn to begin with? If you understand Father's love, you don't need people to love you. You're free to love them regardless of how it's reciprocated because you have everything you need. Now this sounds arrogant, hear what I'm saying. I don't need you, I need him. Because I have him, I'm free to be blessed by you. I can love you. I don't need to, I don't need to coerce you and manage your opinion of me because I see, I have everything I need in him. I live for an audience of one. So I'm free to love you. I know that sounds arrogant. You have to understand, it's like, you don't need anybody. Come on, you understand what I'm saying? I have him, so I'm free to love you. But if I, if I don't understand that I'm loved by the Father, then I manipulate relationships and I get angry, I get offended easy because you didn't love me, you didn't stroke my back, you didn't tell me I was good. I've been serving in that ministry, I've been doing that, I've been teaching the Sunday school for 95 years. Nobody said anything. Nobody has any appreciation for me. He does! Paul said in Colossians, I'm not serving you, I'm serving him. Everything I'm doing is for him. It isn't for you. It doesn't make sense. So we create ministries in the church. It's like appreciation dinners that all that does is foster a level of insecurity in people. I'm fine. Do your dinners. But in the process of doing the dinners, teach people about the love of the Father. That the real reason we volunteer is not because the church has needs. The real reason we volunteer is because we're filled with the love of the Father and we can't help. It just spills out. And it's like, oh my gosh, I will serve. I, I will do everything I need to. It's just like, I saw my DS at district assembly. His shoe was untied. I got down on my knees and tied his shoe. He says, why are you doing that? Why wouldn't I do that? Does it make sense? We pastored 21 years, 30 years total, but our last year's 21 years. We'd have people come and they'd leave. Well, your church wasn't real friendly, which wasn't true, but anyway, it wasn't real friendly. And ah, oh, spirit sourced words. I have to be careful. But I would gently ask them or say something like this Listen, 
if you're a spirit-filled believer, it should have been love the moment you walked in. It should have been friendly the moment you walked in. Like, you see what I'm saying? Why wasn't it the most friendly place? Because you were there. Is this making sense? I mean, some of you are like... And I'll tell you something about agape. Agape, by its very nature, will compel you to love people who cannot reciprocate what you give them. Agape, by its very nature, will compel you to love people who don't have the capacity to reciprocate what you give them. And so if you are ever offended, you're not walking in agape. And it isn't like he's going to scold you. No, he's going to bring you into his bosom and he's going to say, come on, you can do better. I want to love through you. You understand? Do you know what John goes on to say? He says, we love because he first loved us. We love. I'm enabled to love because I am loved. Come on, we say things like, well, I love him, but I don't like him. Like, where does that come from? Where do we get that? That language, listen, that language is not from him. So who do you think it was sourced by? Okay, we were all homeschooled in the wrong home. Father wants to begin to school us and train us and teach us. Do you understand what I'm saying? That he wants to begin to raise us up to be lovers, people, because we are loved. Now we're empowered to love. And we don't need people to come up and, oh, but we just love anyway. In fact, I've been to places where, where when I'm in revivals, if I see a rascal, duh, I'm after him. I am. I'm after him. I'm just going to love on you. You see what I'm saying? Motivated by love. John, look at what he says. He says, God is love. And look, look at verse 16. I said I wouldn't go spend a lot of time on this. And I'm not. But he said to me, don't worry about time. Right? He, he goes, I said that. I go, uh. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So when you dwell in love, you're dwelling in him. When you dwell in him, you're going to be love. And then he goes on to say, look at this. By this, by dwelling in love, it's actually man of, it's perfected in us. It, 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 there's a maturation of it so that we will have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in the world. What is he? He's love. We just said that. So what are we in this world? Love. And what's going to give us confidence to stand toe-to-toe -to, -toe to him when we, it's going to be that we're most like him. And what's most like him? Love. I know a lot of born-again people who are not walking in love. They're not pursuing it. So just being born again isn't going to give you confidence. What will give you confidence is the fact that your life replicates him. Uh, Ephesians 5.1, be imitators, mimeotase, mimeograph. You know what a mimeograph is? Like this tells the age, all those over 60. Yeah, I remember those. It's just this machine, round center, that would turn like this. It would go... Spit out copies, the ink was blue, it was always wet. They'd give you arithmetic on it. I'd always take the arithmetic, smell it, and get high. <laughs> now you know what's wrong. 
mimeotase, mimeograph. The word literally means to mimic. Paul says, Ephesians 5.1, mimic God. It's a statement. It's a command. Mimic God. Like you're to be so much like God, I can't tell the difference between you and him. It's like, there he is. No, here, no, no, here, here's, here, there he is. No, that, he, he, there. you guys are godly. Well, how do you mimic God? Verse two, walk in love. So this is this pursuing of love. Does this make sense, gang? And, and you understand, now watch this, watch this. This, this is so transformational because it, love creates the foundation for the supernatural to manifest in. Because love is otherworldly. Love is the realm of the kingdom coming here. Do you understand? I was being treated horrible by a waitress in Amarillo. I was eating with the pastor and the, I'd, I'd finish Ted. I'd finish Ted's church. And a guy by the name of Robert who was working the sound. You, you, you know, he's, Anyway, finished Ted, my buddy Ted's church, and I was leaving, and Robert, one of his ushers, shook my hand, and, and he says, bless you, and it was a $100 bill. And I go, wow, I am blessed. Thank you, friend. Put it in my pocket, went to Amarillo to meet the pastor to start a meeting. At the restaurant, I'm being treated horrible, horrible, horrible. The waitress is so mean. She's so terrible. It's just like, wow. And, and I mean, the, the, the food's not right. It's cold. Glasses are empty, and, and top it all off, she's being hateful, discourteous. Do you know how many believers I've been with who said, get your manager over here? <laughs> I have. I've apologized to managers and said they're supposed to be believers. Don't count me among the number. Not that I'm better than, it's just that's a poor representation of who I say I follow mm. and what's in me. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not yeah. judgmental. So we can do better because he is better. And he's. Holy Spirit spoke to me. Hey, you know that $100 bill you got in your pocket? Yeah. Yeah. In my spirit, I said, I got 20s in my wallet. (laughs) I I knew what he wanted. Her name was Susan. Called her over to the table, took her hand. And I said, here's Susan. I laid that $100 bill in her hand and she broke just started weeping. She says, you have no idea the day that I've had. I'm thinking, man, I kind of do. You <laughs> <laughs> <Here> little idea. <laughs> now watch. She started weeping. The atmosphere of the restaurant shifted. Why? Because love is not a virtue. It's the presence of Jesus. That's what he is. What is he? He's love. I just said that. So when you love, you're not giving away. The fruit of the spirit are not virtues. They're the presence of spirit manifest. So people encounter the presence of God in the fruit. So love is the atmosphere of Christ manifesting in a tangible way. And so it changed the atmosphere of the restaurant. I stood up and gave her a hug and watch. Now I was able to minister. Words of knowledge float, so forth, so on. Anyway. So love creates the foundation. So you say, well, I thought we were talking about living transformationally to bring transformation in our city. It starts with this, gang. 
Be a man, be a woman that just chases after love every single day. Tomorrow when you get up, oh, listen, I'm already loved, don't have to earn his affection. I'm number one, got an A plus, besides Rob, he's a little higher than that. But anyway, do you understand? Yes. You get up every day with that thought, I'm gonna be motivated by love today. Yeah, and just everywhere you go, just love people. Oh, it's so important. So, so, so very important. All right. I think we hit that long enough. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians. Listen, I'm, I'm very serious about that. Do you understand living love, pursuing love means that you live unoffendable? Because 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says there's no record. So you can't say, now that's the fifth time you've said that. Who's counting? Yeah, okay. Pursue love. Ready? Desire earnestly. Desire earnestly is this word, like if you have the King James, it actually uses the word jealous. It's this deep burning zealous, this almost like a passion. It's like this burning passion that says, I've got to have something. That's what that word is, strong. By the way, present tense, so it never stops, and it also is an imperative, so it, it's commanding a passion that we're to have. Now, we're pursuing love, but at the same time, are you ready? We're deeply desiring, burning with great passion, spiritual. Now, I told you, gifts is not in the text. And it's not in the text. Listen to what I'm saying very carefully. Paul is not telling us to burn for spiritual gifts. That may be implied, that may be a characteristic of this word spiritual, but you understand he's not saying to go after gifts. He's saying to go after this thing called spiritual. Now, I've argued with a few people, and, and, I, and I don't like, no, I shouldn't say I've argued. They've argued, and I've just smiled and said, it's all right. It's okay. Yeah, I, I don't, that, okay, anyway. The, the, the root of this word spiritual is where we get the word spirit. Pneuma. Go to Acts 19 real quick. Let, let me show you this. Acts 19. And I will go quickly, because I've been in Acts 19 for seven months, and <laughs> ah, so just let me show you something real fast, just real quick. So this incredible city that was in the shadow of this demonic thing, this, this Artemis, this statue that people had come from miles around the known world to hear an oracle from this thing. And it was just a culture that, that was a seedbed of the demonic. And, and Paul shows up to bring transformation. And verse 1, 19.1 says he found some disciples. And the word found does not mean he was actually looking for them. It may be better translated, he happened upon them. Like, like he, wouldn't, he didn't go there, like he didn't know them. There's no indication that Paul knew these 12 disciples. He just gets off the ship and he's walking up the main street and it's like he happens upon 12 disciples. We know 12 from a few verses later. Now watch this. 
It's interesting, the first question out of Paul's mouth. Now, if you're going to a city like Ephesus, this massive pornotopia culture, this city that's filled with immorality and iniquity and an idolatry, you think that if you found some disciples, the first thing you would say is, oh my gosh, guys, what, like what church are you from? What, what denomination? Lord, I, hey, what school did you graduate from? Right. Like, do you have a PhD? Do you have a, and I'm not against education. I, I paid for one. It's, anyway, I'm not against it. I'm against what it can do. But he didn't ask these kind, watch, he didn't ask pedigree. Who's your dad? What's the lot? What, like, do you have some leaders? Do you have some, like, people in the church that, like, were leaders? That, he didn't ask pedigree. He didn't ask strategy. Like, like you'd think, man, we got to look for a place to plant a church. We need a facility. None of the things that we would ask in our time, in our culture, in the strategizing of church planning. Listen, that was not on the forefront of this man's mind. The guy who said, burn with a zealousness for spiritual, with the root of that is pneuma, spirit. The guy that literally said burn for that is the guy that asked one central question right from get-go of 12 guys that he didn't know. Do you have the Holy Ghost? Shouldn't that be the determining factor yes. for ministry? Yes. Shouldn't besides strengths and weaknesses and this and that and that chart and the Enneagram and all that, shouldn't we be saying, hey, I just want to know one thing. Do you have the Holy Ghost? Yeah. I'm not against that stuff, but I'm really for him. <laughs> See? No, no, I will just, can, can I share a nugget real quick? Do we got time for a quick nugget? Yes. Scholars indicate that the reason that he asked that was not his knowledge of who they were, but Paul's knowledge of who discipled them. And there's strong evidence, if you go back to chapter 18, that they were discipled by a man named Apollos. Now, Apollos was an Alexandrian by birth. He came out of Alexandria. They had libraries, philosophy houses. It was a place of great education. And as you read this, it says here that he, in verse 24, 18, 24, was an eloquent, eloquent man, which means he was highly educated. Now, listen, he was highly educated and he was a mighty man of the scriptures. He was highly educated in the word. Highly educated. Believe in Jesus. But he was only acquainted with the baptism of John. John came for the baptism of repentance. But one whose sandals he was not worthy to unloose would come with a baptism of Holy Ghost and fire. And this guy, it's believed, 
discipled these 12 guys. And what's interesting is, check this out, he's actually teaching, and Priscilla and Aquila, who had been with Paul, his traveling companions, were listening to this guy teach, and here's what's interesting. In verse 26, it says, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Some guys and gals need an explanation of God's ways a little more accurately. That I'm all for people who understand the word. We need people who are knowledgeable in the word. But we also need people who have an understanding of the flow, the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit. That it's not one or the other. It is the conglomeration of both, the fusion of both word and spirit, man. You show me someone who knows the word only, and I'll show you someone whose ministry and following will dry up. You show me someone whose ministry is all about the spirit and not the word, and I'll show you someone's life and ministry that will blow up. Listen, we need word and spirit to grow up. Are you with me? And, and so it's believed that these 12 guys, now watch, Paul didn't have any knowledge of who they were, but there's some scholars that believe that Paul had an inkling that they were under the tutelage of Apollos, which leads me to say that when you disciple people, disciple them in the word and spirit. You say, what do you mean? Disciple them in the word and then take them out in the streets and let them activate the word you just taught them. Does that make sense? We do an injustice when we say, man, Jesus calls us to evangelism, and then we never take our church out in the streets. If you want to hang with me, we'll have fun doing ministry in the streets. We call ourselves trailer park evangelists. We park our bus, and it's like the first thing I'm looking around, who is the target of his affection? This is huge. Listen, I'm not trying to prop a book here. I wrote a book after my dissertation called Bridging the Great Divide. Former General Superintendent Don Owens read the manuscript and wept as he read it and said, I wish I was younger because I would travel to every college and university in the Nazarene church and I'd literally say, this book has to become preeminent in the students' lives. This was the first book I wrote after my dissertation, Bridging the Great Divide. It talks about the necessity of word and spirit. So, so you understand, Paul had an affinity, a love for the spirit. He knew what the spirit was capable of doing in and through his life. Paul loved that. Now let's look at this word in verse 14. It is, it is the word pneuma, spirit, but, but it's a compound word that refers to the activities or the things of the spirit. When you put it together, pneumatica. The things, the activities of the spirit. Now, I was in Fiji, I told you, five years ago, actually during this month right now, with Corey Jones. And we were doing, like, Fiji, Australia, New Zealand. We, we, did, we did conferences in those three areas, countries. And as I'm in Fiji. I, listen, I'm not making this up. I'm in Fiji talking about pneumatica. 
And the district center where the conference was being held was right beside an area that they spray painted buses. And as I'm teaching on pneumatica, this word spiritual, the windows are open and everyone can hear this. Then I said, you guys want an illustration for the word pneumatica? You guys all hear that? And they said, yeah, and they knew what it was. Do you know what that was? It was a pneumatic sprayer. Now the sprayer itself is just a, looks like a gun with a little trigger and a can that holds paint, which is incapable of doing nothing. It can't do anything. I mean, you squeeze the trigger all you want. It won't do anything until air shoots through that. And the moment compressed air blows through it, that thing becomes this machine that can gorgeously paint buses or anything else. And Paul's getting at the fact in this word here that we're incapable of doing anything on our own. It's not about self-sourcing or what I can muster in my own abilities. It's about me being completely contingent on something blowing through my life influencing me and all of a sudden I come alive and now I can lay hands on the sick and cast out demons and cleanse lepers oh but it ain't me don't applaud me it's the power and the presence of the spirit that is blowing through an instrument that is completely contingent upon the sourcing of the spirit that's this word are you guys getting this Man, I'm going to start preaching. Do you guys understand how powerful that is? No, I'm just going to haul off and preach. This is huge. Do you understand? Romans 6.13 says, we don't offer ourselves, our members of our body, as instruments of wickedness. Do you understand when I wasn't a believer, my body was being sourced by the enemy? My body is being sourced by darkness? Listen, now I am being sourced as an instrument of righteousness. I'm being sourced sourced by the presence of the Holy Spirit everywhere I go. And this word here, pneumatica, is much larger than gifts because it refers to all of the activities of the Holy Spirit. The sourcing of the Holy Spirit enables me to have conversations the way I should, when to speak, when to shut up. He sources me in how I minister to people, if I should touch them, if I should not. He enables me in every activity of my life down to we ask the Spirit to source us in the right mattress that we bought for our butt. Because you got to hear me. I can do nothing of value unless I'm sourced. Seems to me one whose sandals I'm not. Oh, John 15. Without me, you can do. It's the sourcing. Did you guys understand? Living transformationally. I'm motivated by love. Everywhere I go. And I'm sourced by the spirit. Now anything can take place. This is huge. This is huge. Come on. Chad said we had until 1130 tonight. (laughs) But I'll cut it off a little short. Are are you guys with me? Let me me show you this. Go, Go to chapter 12. Go to chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12. Oh my gosh. Look at verse 1. Ready? Uh, Now concerning, there's the word, 
spiritual, not gifts per se. Now concerning the activities of the spirit. Listen to what he says. Now concerning the activities of the spirit, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. It's, it's, it's actually the word, I don't want you to be ignorant. Like here's what Paul is saying. I want you to know about this. You need to know about this. Come on, I know, I know, I know. Listen, be real careful how I say this. I know in some places in our tribe this has been sequestered. I have a quote on my phone from H. Orton Wiley who was commissioned by the Board of General Superintendents in 1945 to write a theology, a systematic theology for the Church of the Nazarene that was to be used in every Bible school, every seminary. I had to read the three volumes when I was in seminary. H. Orton Wiley specifically said, now listen, I can't say the quote completely, but here's what he said concerning the manifestations, specifically the manifestations of 1 Corinthians 12. He said, we are a spiritual organization and therefore will only fulfill our mission through spiritual giftings. And then he said this, it will be impossible for the church to fulfill her mission without the spiritual gifts. Oh, and he went on to say, he said, all of the gifts and manifestations are available. They're latent in the church at any age. They did not cease with the death of the apostles. Does you understand, I'm just telling you, what I'm teaching is not some rogue type of a stuff out here trying to get a little coup going. No, 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 that's not in my heart. My heart is to bring reformation and, and really see our tribe become what she was over 100 years ago because she was a tribe of purity and power and these things were not an issue. What's crept into our movement is teaching, listen, that's foreign to who we are as Nazarenes, and the teaching has squelched down this stuff. It's reformed theology that tells us we can't have transformed natures and we can't flow in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not who we are. Now you listen to me, I've done the research. I'm not sounding arrogant, but I've done the research. This is what my dissertation was in. And I've talked to some of our generals. I've been very honest. They've read my stuff. I know I'm misunderstood from some people. I get that. But if you hear my heart, yes. That's right. spend some time with me. That's right, right. It's not within me to want to intentionally create dissension in our tribe. It's not in me. But Paul says we need to be aware of this. Look at verse 7. We all good? But to each one. Look at that. The adjective, each one is hekastos. 
it would be like Paul is pointing to every person and saying you and you and you and you and you and you, everyone. Why? Because there was this prima donna mentality in Corinth where the rich separated from the poor, the Jew from the Gentile. And, and, and so there was a lot of truncating and separating and schisms. And Paul's saying, look, if you want to live transformationally, I'm telling you there's no prima donnas. This is every single person yep. in the body of yep. Christ. I get the idea of honor, but I want to tell you something. Honor the anointing. But listen, we're all equal at the foot of the cross. Huge. Every single one. This is what he's saying. Each and every single one of you, each and every single one of you is given. Didime, present tense, constantly bestowed. Are you ready? Here we go. The manifestation of the Spirit. Now Paul is reigning in the Spirit's activity and he's calling it a manifestation of the Spirit. A manifestation of the Spirit is simply the Spirit's activity being displayed through you. It's the Spirit's activity, it isn't your skill, it isn't your ability. It in what you've learned. No, no. It's, it's the Spirit's activity that is literally now being sourced through you, and it's always for the common good, which enables other people around you to walk more effectively. Wow. In and out of the church. See, it never creates disruption, it never divides, it never splits a church. All of that is sourced in the wrong spirit. It always is a benefit for edification, for strengthening. And then Paul actually identifies nine manifestations. You've read these, if you're allowed. Look at this, word of wisdom. I shouldn't have said that, seriously. There, there's a lot of places that are reading this and studying this, brother. They, they really are. For one is given a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, to another faith, another gifts of healing, to another effecting of miracles, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and then to another the interpretation of tongues. Nine different manifestations. Look at verse 11. Are you ready? But one and the same spirit works all these things. One and the same sourcing works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Now watch this. These are not your gifts. Gordon Fee says that the emphasis of this chapter is not about what gift you have. The emphasis is about the Holy Spirit who has you. And because you have the spirit, you don't need to jockey. Well, look what they are doing. Look what they're, no, 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 no. Because that is momentarily as he wills. And the way the spirit may blow through them and execute a manifestation could change in any one night. And one, three, five of the manifestations could flow through one or different people at different ways. It doesn't mean you just have one little gift and this is, stop that. You have the Holy Spirit. You are being sourced by him. He has no limitations. And if you give him access, he can blow through you and effectively help people around you in ways you never could do in your own energy. 
is if we're going to bring transformation, it starts with you and me being motivated by love and sourced by the Spirit every single moment of our lives. That's the transformational lifestyle. Are you getting this? Yes. This is huge. Uh, I don't have a YouTube channel. Damn. Yet. Uh, I'm praying about it. Yeah. Because I've done extensive teaching on this. Yes. I've just parsed out each chapter, and and you have to understand. Uh, I feel so strong about this. There was a time in my life, I've been studying this for over a decade, after the Holy Spirit blew our church up, a Nazarene church that just got blown up by the Holy Ghost. I didn't go to a Pentecostal conference and replicate with it. I just was a guy that wanted the presence of God. Well, you can't have the presence on your terms. And the presence of God came, and it just wrecked the church. And some of you guys are like, oh, I want the Holy Spirit, but stop that. Trust him. Yes. Have you ever seen Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Aslan, is he good? Yes, he's good, but he's not safe. <laughs> and he will uproot everything that sniffs like flesh to get it out of the way. Every religious spirit, every dark thing that keeps you sequestered, every fear that's like, well, come, Holy Spirit, I think. No, all of that stuff has to be abandoned and eradicated for the Spirit of God to blow in your church the way he wants, and you can trust him because he is good. He's good. He really is. And so in 2007, after my sabbatical, after I got blown up by the Holy Spirit and came back to my church and said, we're not doing church for people anymore. We're doing services for the presence. And the very next Sunday, God took me for real. For a whole year, for a whole year, you ask her, for a whole year, we had people get healed, delivered, set free. We had more people get born again in one year than we did nine years trying it through self-efforts. For 12 years, we had the privilege of stewarding a revival culture. My DS came, sat on the front seat. He loved it. He called it the original Pentecostal Church of the Nazarene. Now, I had his trust. He, he since retired, but listen, I had his trust. I actually went to him, submitted to him, said all my materials you can have when he became DS. And I said, you and I, I'd like to pray with you once a month when I'm if I can. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? I believe in, in this idea of humbling myself. Does that make sense? Yes. I'm not a rogue. Amen. Come on. That's right. That's right. It's huge. So I had to learn this stuff. I did. I'm not an expert on it. I really am not. But I've just spent a lot of time studying this stuff. This is huge. I went into Kroger. So we, see, I, I agree with what, what he said today. was so brilliant. This is his city. My city is Columbus. I can't weep over your city. I can agree with you, but my city is Columbus. I, weep over, I drove around the outer belt of 270, the outer belt of our city, weeping seven Mondays in a row saying, this is my city. So when I go to stores, I go to the stores with that effect, that mindset. 
And so I, I, go, I go, our little Kroger is a place that I go to minister. She'll send me with a little list. I love it because I go minister. I've since learned I need to come home with the cheese and eggs that she told me to go get. And I got these great stories. Where's the cheese and eggs? I mean, but I just walk in loving on people. I have a little acronym. Write this down. I kid you not. This is beautiful. Are you ready? We're to be salt, right? S-A-L-T. Are you ready? You'll love this. S, start a conversation with everyone. Graham Cook said, begin conversations with everyone and let the Holy Spirit dig you out of it. A, ask questions. People love to talk about themselves. So ask them about themselves. Ask them about their hobbies. Um, L, listen. Not just to them, but to the Spirit. And then T, tell your story. Just tell your story. Oh, after you've, after you've started the conversation, ask the questions, you've listened, your story is going to be perfect to meet their need. I'm just telling you. The world screams to hear this. I've done it on airplanes, hotels, lobbies, every place. So I'm in Kroger. I actually didn't do the salt. The spirit spoke to me, manifested. And he gave me revelation, a word of knowledge about the guy beside me. He said, this guy's had two heart surgeries. He's getting ready to face the third heart surgery in a week. I want to touch him. I turned to him and I said, sir, I said, um, I feel like I need to pray for you. Have you been dealing with some heart issues? He goes, oh yeah, I've had two heart surgery and getting ready to face a third one in a very same thing. I said, could I pray for you? And I always ask permission. Do you understand? And, and don't listen, don't, don't get weird. Don't, don't start manifesting it. Don't. That's not the, don't, don't, don't start vibrating. Stop that. Listen to what I'm saying. Just be cool. Holy Spirit, he's, listen, he's fruit, not nuts. So just, I'm all, listen, shake, rattle, and roll all you want. Paul says, alone I'm out of my mind. With you I'm of a sound mind. Right. Right. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse, it's in there. <laughs> so just be cool when you're with people. Just ask permission, just real quiet. You're not praying loud. Just say, so I said, brother, would you, would you mind if I, if I just put my hand right here on your shoulder and pray for you? Because no, I don't mind. A little boy, five and maybe eight, come up and they just put their arms around their daddy to watch this. I said, Jesus, no. I say, I just command his heart to be healed. Why, why, why would I do that? Am I telling God what to do? No, he told me what to do. That's right. That's a word of knowledge. It's, so I just commanded his heart. It's just it's, it's just what Father, so everywhere we go, these manifestations can flow through you in and out of the church. Yeah, yeah. That's right, There's just so much I can share along these lines about living this life.
It's just, see, this is transformational. And so when I talk Friday about we got to win our cities, it's going to be fruitless if you don't, if you don't live a life where you're motivated by love and sourced by the Spirit. Let me give you a closing story. And um, Aaron, yeah, you can come up and just you can begin to. I'm going to shut this computer down, brother, so it won't be on, on here. So, um, I was in Jamaica with a team. I told this story, it's beautiful. I was doing um, ministry. We did 13 services in 11 days on one of the districts in Jamaica, a team of five. Our very last service was outside of Montego Bay. It took us an hour in a van on these very narrow roads to get to this church. When we got to the church, the church was on the left, and I'm telling you, not more than 20 feet maybe, where Elaine is sitting, was a bar. And like when we drove up to the church, the, the, the reggae was so loud that it was, it was like... <laughs> It was, that was the place. That was the happening place. And it was just, we get out of the van, we're loving on some of the people, you know, they got the Bob Marley stuff on. It's just, it's, it's the happening place. Open windows, no window, just open. Music screaming loud, and they're out there just drinking, carrying, they're just having a great time. Loving on them and stuff, and then we, we go into the church, and, and there's maybe when we, First gathered, maybe about 12, maybe 14 people. Now remember, our motto, motivated by love, right. sourced with the Spirit. So right away, there's, there's, there's no agitation. There's no offense. But you, believe you me, oh, Father. And, and, and I remember... Uh, someone had a tambourine and we stood in a circle and we tried to sing, but we were actually being overshadowed by what was happening over there. Now, if you're not being motivated by love and sourced by the Spirit, you're going to get oppressed. You're going you're to look around and think, you're going to start to believe the yak, 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 yak of the enemy. Well, what do you, what, you think you can make a difference? See, and you'll buy into that stuff. And then you'll get depressed and think, man, I just, I'm not like so-and-so. You don't need to be so-and-so. Just be sourced by the Spirit. Just be motivated by love and sourced by the Spirit. You're the instrument. You don't need to listen to all that stuff. And we're just, ah, oh, Dad, you're so good. And I don't know how long we, we, we sang, tried to sing for a little bit, and then someone... They, they, they get a word of knowledge. Spirit of the Lord blew because we're sourced. He says, hey, the Lord spoke to me. He says, I'm to take anointing oil and I'm to anoint someone with this anointing oil. And the Lord told me that when I do, they're going to get healed <clears throat> instantly. And then I'm going to give them the oil. Then they're going to turn around. They're going to pray for the next person. The second person will get healed. The first and the second then we'll become a prayer team to pray for the third person. The third person is going to get touched. Then we're going to give the oil to that person. The first, second, and third are going to pray for the fourth person. They're going to, you see where this is going? 
So who wants to be first? Lady says, me. She walks up. All that's going on. She walks up. In the name of Jesus. She was instantly healed. Here's the oil. You're next. She turns around, prays for the second person. Bam! She's instantly, instantly healed. It's just amazing. I mean, and the next, bam! And then the next, and then it was five, and then it was eight, and then it was 12, and then it was 15. And then, then we lost count, and then it broke protocol because then a few went this way and started praying, and a few went here, and someone dropped the oil, and so they were just rubbing their hands and just going around. And, 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 and then it got beautifully, righteously chaotic where some were going, oh, my God, oh, my God, doing bends like this. I looked over, and there's a lady in her 70s going, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. Three guys came in from the bar and they got born again and they gave them the oil. They'd never prayed. It is amazing how someone who's just newly born again is qualified to flow in ministry, man. They don't have to go through 20 years of training. They just might have a testimony because I was blind, but now I see. I was dead. Now I'm alive. I was lost, but now I'm found. They took the oil and started praying for people and they started getting touched. And this guy came in, he was drunk, he was walking up the aisle like this and stumbling, and so they prayed over him, and instantly he sobered. They gave him the oil, he turned around. The first person he prayed for was his sister. He had never talked to her in two or three years. They were angry and estranged, and it was horrible. They began to weep and cry. They hugged each other, and then they began to reconcile and started praying for people. People are shouting, some are crying, some are knelt down in the presence of God. Others are getting gloriously delivered from demonic stuff. And it, it, listen, it, I lost track of time, but here's the thing. I lost lost track of what was happening over there. In fact, I didn't hear any more music, and I stepped back, and I looked in the open windows of the church. Do you know what I saw? I saw all the people from the bar standing in the windows of the church, looking into the church, because the happening place through people motivated by love and sourced by the Spirit was not a bar. The happening place was in the manifest presence of God flowing through his kids who were activating the very presence of God through their lives. Pastor looks up and he says, come on in. And they did. Three and a half some hours later. This is how we ended our ministry in Jamaica. Three and a half later, hours later, the pastor got in a circle with all these people, hand in hand, people who had never been to the church, born again, touched by the power of God, spirit-filled, baptized in the love of the Father, standing hand-to-hand in a great big circle. We counted 85 people. (laughs) And we laid hands on the pastor like a little impartation and just blessed him and said, you have a new church. You understand what I'm talking about? This, this is not a pipe dream. This isn't, well, you. No, this, this is all of us. 
if we will say, I'm going to live motivated by love, sourced by the Spirit. Thank you for joining us for this special message from the Lebanon House of Prayer Behold Conference. If you want to get notified about next year's conference, go to thebeholdconference.com and click on the button, Get Notified. We can't wait to see you next year.